Welcome to the Am I Called podcast. Am I Called is a ministry that exists to help men find their call and to help pastors find called men. For more information and resources, visit amicalled.com. Now, here's your host, Dave Harvey. Hey folks, this is Dave and you've joined us for the Am I Called podcast. And sitting with me this morning is Paul Gilbert. Paul was the lead pastor here at Four Oaks. That's, by the way, is the church where I serve as a teaching pastor as well. Paul is also a strategist for Sojourn Network. And also joining us is the subject of our interview, Bob Evans. But before we get to Bob, Paul, Bob, and I have all been sitting in Tallahassee. And this is a city that just suffered what I think was probably a mild hurricane where the power was out for days and there's trees all over the place. I've got one down in the back and I've got one that's coming down either today or tomorrow in the front. Paul, Bob, any any hurricane damage in your world? Just a lot of debris that had to be swept up. Nothing that hit the house for which we're thankful. Well, that's yeah. good. Paul, how about Tallahassee you? Tallahassee is a beautiful place with many trees, but it comes home to roost during the big storm. On, on hurricane day. Absolutely. But we're okay. So, so Bob, Paul, and I have just let a, left a meeting with a group called the DC Collective. And, uh, and it was a place where this morning uh, Bob spoke. There were 80 different pastors and leaders, all of them from the Tallahassee area. And we're going to get to today's topic. But first, I want to explain to our listeners what the DC Collective is. In fact, Paul, I'm going to ask you to explain to our listeners what, what the DC Collective is here in Tallahassee. About four years ago, Paul Tripp came into town and did a, a regional pastor's conference called Dangerous Calling, which was based upon his book of the same name. And so many of the things that, that Dr. Tripp talked about on that weekend resonated with us, particularly related to the dangers of pastoral ministry. And as we sort of listened to Dr. Tripp's teaching and then filtered that through our own experiences of seeing friends, colleagues, um, more high-profile pastors who've fallen, um, disqualified themselves from ministry, those sorts of things. We were just, our hearts were really burdened. We really desired to, to come together in a way in a pastoral community that would, would help us delve into each other's lives. I mean, one of the things that, that Dr. Tripp said that we really resonated with we spend a lot of time in the church talking about calling in terms of gifts, where people are serving, whether they're a fit, where they're serving, where, where they should be serving. We spend much less time talking about the dangers or the pitfalls of that calling because we know that James tells us that those who teach will be, will be judged more strictly, that, that those who are called to be overseers in the church have the great responsibility of, of shepherding a people. Um, at the same time, they have a they ha there's the danger of them adversely impacting those people by falling, and so we came together in a group called um, the Dangerous Calling Collective. So we've had a couple of conferences. Yes, we have some conferences. We we gather quarterly for for meetings. We provide resources for pastors. It's not so much an organization as it is an organism. We facilitate relationships in the Tallahassee community, and we think it's been a real blessing. Um, to men and women here in, in town. So this morning, Bob was speaking at the DC Collective Group, and uh, the group is is beginning to discuss the imperfect pastor by Zach Eswine, and and uh, and Bob was sharing some thoughts out of that. And at the very end, had everybody stand up 
and and to declare like John the Baptist did that I'm not the Christ and that was a that was a powerful poignant moment together and Bob I want to I want to turn the interview to you now and just for the for our listeners Bob Evans um, converted in 1970 by Jesus Christ Trinity graduate has been the senior pastor at Wildwood Presbyterian Church that's a PCA church here in Tallahassee for the last 20 years now, the reason that I wanted to interview Bob is because Bob recently had a, a prayer answered. Bob had a desire or a dream, I should say, satisfied when his church, and this is going to sound strange, his church was able to find a replacement for him as senior pastor. So, the, I mean, this guy, this pastor, after seeing his church grow from 200 people to over 1,000 people under his leadership over the last 20 years, Bob is now turning it over to a younger man. Now, Bob, uh, from all reports, your ministry, your preaching, um, every, your leadership, everything you're doing is as strong as ever. So why in the world are you doing this? People have asked that a lot of me over the last uh, year or so. I realized uh, a couple of years ago, maybe even three, that the day would come when I needed to turn uh, the uh, sort of the vision, the leadership, the direction of the church over to a younger man. Uh, and part of it is recognizing the limitations on my own, my own gift set. Uh, when you look at the different things pastors do, they have to be somewhat administrative, and uh, I muddle through that part. Uh, they need to be able to lead, that is take a group of people forward um, to some preferable future that's hopefully biblical. Uh, they must teach and preach. There's that component of it. And then there's pastoring. As I looked at those four things, the first two, administration and leadership, I think are my weakest areas of, um, of, of ministry. And I, I recognize that unless a new, more um, vigorous, younger, visionary type man came in, uh, our church would probably uh, begin to stagnate. Uh, people have affirmed my preaching gifts and uh, and in uh, my shepherding. I think they feel like th these are valuable uh, parts of what I've done. So I asked the elders, would it be possible to leave the senior pastor role and take another role at Wildwood, remain on the staff and bring in a new senior leader and let me serve under him? Uh, I don't feel like I have anything more to prove in this town. I'm not trying to be a somebody. So they launched out trying to find a person who was willing to accept the fact that I would still still be here. And uh, we, uh, after a couple of years of, of searching, um, came upon David McNeely, who had, had been at one of the, the teaching pastors at Perimeter PCA Church in Atlanta, which is a, a very large, substantial church. David felt a call down here, and one of the reasons he, he felt Wildwood was the place for him is because he could exercise his gifts of leadership and vision and teaching and let me take a lot of the congregational care and pastoring that he felt uh, that was not his strong suit. And so what we've come up with is this arrangement where I'm going to become an assistant pastor at Wildwood. I'll be 67 years old in February, and then he's going to be the senior pastor, and I'll end up working for him. And so far, we've been transitioning for about a month, 
Uh, he's actually being installed this Sunday, September 11th. And, uh, and I'm really excited about it because it puts me in my sweet spot, takes away the things that I find to be difficult and hard, and puts him in the place where he can exercise his gifts. Uh, he's a very humble man, uh, a man that's not trying to come in like gangbusters and change everything overnight. And if he does, that's going to be his call. I'm just very glad to be able to uh, team up with a person who uh, has this kind of gift set. So that's that's basically the genesis of, of what we came up with. Yeah, it seems like a, a big part of this, and, and Paul, I want you to comment on this as well. A big part of this is you feeling like you're finding what you called your sweet spot. Right. And, uh, and that the most fruitful places of ministry for you were going to be over here rather than in this area. Right. How would you say you discovered what that sweet spot was and how would you recommend any listeners um, if they're ask, asking the same question how, how do we get to our sweet spot? I think spot? you have to ask what do you gravitate to uh, as you think about all the different responsibilities what do you go back to as a place of passion and of interest and of, of uh, you know of focus and for me I'm the senior pastor of a, a fairly substantial church and I always found myself wanting to sit and talk to people about their lives and uh, the bigger questions of where the church is going and what's the vision and how are we going to move forward? We bought 60 acres of land and we're going to build a community center on that. Uh, we are in that process right now. All those things, while important to me, were not necessarily passions of mine. So uh, I think that you look at what what do you like to do every day? What What do you gravitate to? And, uh, and, and when you're, you know, walking in the spirit, you know, what motivates you, what, uh, you know, what burdens your heart and what's always burdened my heart is the, uh, the, the development of people, um, is, uh, you know, more fully devoted followers of Christ. So my, my title is going to be pastor of congregational care, which sort of looks at the hurting, broken, burdened people, uh, the ones that tend to be neglected or forgotten, the elderly, the sick, the people in some kind of crisis. And then also discipleship, which gives me the positive side of saying, how do we build people to be more like Christ? Those yeah. two those two kind of focal points is what I'll be spending my time doing. Good. Good, Paul. Anything to add on the sweet spot question? It would seem that for something like this to to move forward, you would have to have the, the consensus, the unity, the backing of your leadership. That's right. And so they, it would be important, it would seem, for them to be speaking into this, looking into this, affirming what you discern are your passions. Where, where have they been in all this? Well, I, I remember uh, some of our leaders coming over and talking to you, Paul, uh, and asking the question that was some years ago, do you think this can work? Didn't they come and ask you that? They you did know? ask me. And, and, uh, and I'm glad you told them yes, because if you would that. have told them no, I wouldn't be sitting here with you guys today. Uh, because you saw in me a person that might be able to accept a new man coming in without being overly threatened by his presence. And, Which uh, is an interesting illustration of uh, <laughs> not only the, you know, the men and women in the local church serving you and giving perspective, but here you are in a community as a Presbyterian pastor, and at that time Paul's an uh, evangelical free pastor, but your elders are coming. We had to over. overlook that piece. We, 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 we did okay. Well, that was we, yeah, we very okay high-minded of yeah, you. Exactly. Yeah, we really appreciate uh, but that. But you know, reached out to an evangelical free church, another respectable man in town, and, and drew him in and said, "Hey, you know, what's your what's your take on this?" Right. Well, um, that's that's where the council of brothers is important because they didn't want to make a mistake. 
our guys didn't want to go down the road. And, uh, and, and we have had people in our church. We've had a, a fairly influential man who's not an elder, but he's a man that builds disciples in this town. He was actually here this morning attending. Uh, he told me pretty clearly that this plan wouldn't work. And, uh, of course, his paradigm and model was the business world. He says, very rarely will a business leader step aside, take an inferior role, and let someone else come in and lead the organization. He goes, I've never seen that happen. But he said to me the other day, he said, I think I was wrong. I think this can work. And I said, well, you're gracious in saying that. We still have to prove it by how this thing unfolds. Yeah. So it's, I mean, the, the, so the jury is still out on how this thing will actually it's, work. It's interesting that we're even you know, talking about this because, uh, I mean, I intended to talk about it, but just this week I was reading Andy Crouch's book on Weak and Strong. I think it's his most recent release. And uh, I was struck by something he said that made me think of you, Bob, and made me think of this, um, of this entire process you're walking through. So I want to read what he said, and then I want to get you guys interacting with it a little bit. He said, quote, It is hard to think of many things that do more damage to an organization than leaders who have no plan for how they will hand over power. No leader lives forever, and few leaders can or should lead until the end of their natural lives. This responsibility is not just the leader's own, it is the responsibility of the whole community to envision and plan for life beyond their current leader's tenure. Mm. Bob, why is it so hard for leaders to as Crouch says, plan to hand over power. Why is that a hard thing? Well, because they don't want to. <laughs> they think they're going to be there forever. <laughs> they, they always have another year, uh, another uh, sermon series. Uh, and I, I think, and, and I, I hate to say that it's, uh, it's about ego or it's about identity, but in a lot of cases it is. So too, uh, and, and, and we, we don't know about every man's motives. That's not ours to judge, is it? But uh, we uh, we felt that um, yeah this this plan would enable me to stay in in places of active ministry while I'm still healthy uh, because a lot of transitions uh, let's take Dr Kennedy he has a stroke or some kind of a medical problem and then the church down there in Coral Ridge is in kind of a crisis other men have, have said hey I'm retiring I'm retiring and then they finally nobody believes them and then they finally come to the place of leaving. And the church is in a vacuum, and then they feel pressure to find somebody maybe quickly. Sometimes there's a scandal. Uh, Wildwood has had a history of good transitions. Uh, for instance, in 1996, our senior pastor, Mike Kanjun, is up in Chapelgate, PCA in, in Maryland. Uh, I worked with him for five years. I was the associate. And when he left, the people called me to take his place. That was a very smooth transition because I'd been in the church for five years. I wanted to try to, as much as I could humanly, create another scenario where a transition would be smooth, wouldn't be quite like that one because I'd been in the church a long time, at least smooth enough that it didn't disrupt the congregation and cause them to uh, go backwards and uh, you know create all this sideways energy in our ministry. And I think the jury's still out, but I think we're we're seeing this in our congregation. People are saying, this has been an incredible process, and we're thankful. Yeah, it's, it's funny that uh, as you were reviewing some of what Eswine was saying in his book, The Imperfect Pastor, this morning, one of the main points that he brought out is that you are 
you know, the temptation is that guys can think they're, they're better than the place they're serving in. And so that results in transitions. Guys don't hang around very long. And there's a temptation there. But now we're talking about the temptation on the other side where a guy determines he's going to stay, he's going to plug in, he's going to build his life, he's going to build into a community, and he remains there. And then there's this whole set of temptations on that end as well to, to uh, create uh, a name that's going to last, a position that'll never change, an identity that's invested in that. Right. Paul, what, what, uh, what are your thoughts on this? I think that when your elders came and met that time, mm-hmm. there, there would be certain situations or, or, or the temperaments of people that I think this would be very unwise. Sure. But I think that, and again, I commend you and your leaders in listening to the Holy Spirit, that they discerned that you not only had the temperament, but I think more importantly, the humility Bob to 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 do this and I think that that is oftentimes when we think about models and transitions and such this is often the most underestimated understated feature that that humility can cover over a lot of imperfect models mm-hmm. quote unquote but no model how, no matter how perfect can can replace humility um, in terms of being able to make something work. And so I think that's something you've really embodied and walked Paul, out. Paul, how would, how would you say the pastors in uh, our city of Tallahassee are, because are, you're connected to a lot of them, and certainly Bob is connected to all of them, uh, and yet they're observing from the outside Bob's steps away from this role, a role that many guys aspire to. Um, how are the guys the pastors in Tallahassee relating to that? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Is this a scary thing? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll refer to history. I re- was reading a biography on, on Washington, George Washington, and how crazy n- novel it was for him to s- willingly step aside from leadership. Mm-hmm. And people were sort of amazed by it. They, were, they didn't have words for it, but it resonated with them. They saw the good in it. I would say that's the same thing. It's not part of the normal playbook, probably for a lot of guys here in town. Right. But as they've seen it, witnessed it, seen the way you've walked it out, I think it's something they've truly resonated with. They've they respect it, and I think they're it's it's generated a whole series of questions of well, why not? And it's, I think it's been well received. Well, I think you have to be older, too, to even pull this off. I mean, if a guy was 42 and he said he wanted to do this, it would be a little more difficult maybe for him. Uh, I think people realize when you're in your upper 60s, then uh, a transition like this you know, might, might seem more normal. If I was a type A or high D personality, this would never work. And, uh, and all the temperament tests I've ever taken, that's the... Uh, I'm very, very high on the uh, on the compliance side, you know, and, and very low on the authority side. But the, the reality is, is that it has to work because everyone is ultimately heading in the direction of turning over their role to somebody else. Right. And you were just perceptive enough to, mm-hmm. to it. recognize it was coming and to help to, to bring it about. Well, most people uh, turn their role over and then they leave. Uh, and so but the, the unique thing is I'm turning my role over and staying. And, uh, but what I, I love the idea 
when someone comes with a, a bigger uh, kind of a macro problem in the life of the church, uh, to be able to say to those people, well, that's the guy down the hall. Go talk to him now. And yeah. I don't have any any real problem with that. I see that as liberating, you know, that, for that me. That does sound very <laughs> enticing. Yeah. Well, so, uh, <laughs> talk to the pastors who might be listening who are in their 40s or, or maybe 50s and uh, and talk to them about how they should be preparing now to hand over the reins when the right time and the right person comes along. What should they be doing? What culture should they be building? Well, they they have to they have to accept the fact that the church isn't theirs. They don't own the church. Uh, and that whatever methodologies they've employed to build their church, whatever structures they've put around their church, those things are not sacrosanct or necessarily even biblical. We don't want them to be anti-biblical, but they're just methodologies. Um, and I think it's very important, you know, you guys understand this, uh, the, the first church I was in, I, I struggled so much up in Illinois, and I think I needed that church so the Lord could show me how much he didn't need me. And everybody What was has, the nature of your struggles? Well, the nature was just the, the fact that I thought I was better than the church I was in. I came out of a high-powered campus ministry, and you know we had hundreds of students at the University of Georgia, and then I go to a church of 50 people, and some of them were, like, awful, you know, and... I thought the church would grow. It, it never really grew, and I just became discontented and wanted to leave because I was better than that. And it's that that feeling of being better, feeling that I deserve something more than this, mm-hmm. that I think is the sin. It's not a desire to want to make a difference. It's it's the it's the feeling that God can't keep me here because uh, I have so much more to offer Him. Did yeah. you see that at the time, or? Well, that's been a retrospective. I I think after three years of misery there, I said, God, if you want me to stay here forever, I will. And I I say that, I don't even know if I believe that, but I know I should pray that. And and so here I'm coming to you. And uh, so I think think men, uh, the the deeper question too is always, uh, is, is the ministry your idol? You know, is this, has it become more important to you than Jesus? Is this how you're forming your identity? And unfortunately for many of us, our identities are being formed around our ministries and around our successes and around the fact that people think we're kind of, kind of, uh, you know, kind of important. And, uh, and that's a hard thing to give up when you're sort of fueling your, your sense of significance through uh, the fact that uh, 100 or 300 or 1,000 people listen to you every week. Mm-hmm. And men have to fight that. They have to just... Uh, ask the question, you know, is Jesus my, as, as Keller says, is Jesus my theoretical savior, but he's not my actual savior. <laughs> uh, my ministry is my actual savior, mm-hmm. my sense of identity. I, I think that those are, so then when the time comes to make a transition, I think it's a lot easier to say, I can, I can give this up and go on somewhere else. I would expect very few people could do what we're attempting to do here, uh, just because of the way uh sort of people's gifts and temperaments. I don't know how usual this is, and I don't want to turn that into a place of pride and a place of uh, you know significance in and of itself. Well, part of the reason I wanted to do the interview was because it is unusual. It is unusual. You don't Absolutely. see it very often. No, and I'm thankful for that, and I, and I would think because of that, Satan would like to uh, destroy the whole thing. I think he would love to undermine it and uh, 
finally say after I'm here for six months, well, see, this didn't really work after all, did it? And then I'm, you know, walking out the door and uh, 32 years of, of ministry is behind me. Um, I want to fight the good fight and be here as long as I can. Um, as you get older, you sort of lose influence. You're, you know, you reach a point where you kind of cross the Rubicon and people don't want to listen to you as much anymore. <laughs> part of, that's part of the way I'm, I'm seeing what's taking place here is, uh, you know, is as a fulfillment of what we're called to do in Second Timothy 2.2, the things that have been entrusted to you, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And there's that, there's that mandate that comes upon the church and comes upon leaders to, to, to be always transferring the gospel downward or outward, and in this case, to the next generation. Right. And uh, I know from my own experience, I, I was in ministry in Philadelphia for 27 years, led that church as a senior pastor for 19 years. And part of the culture, we, you know, there were a lot of things wrong, but part of the culture that I think we did have was the idea that, that gospel-centered means gospel-transferring, that, that it's not enough for us to build a church. We've got to get it into the hands of the next generation. Right. And part of what I'm excited about in what you're doing is there seems to be that next generation mentality where it doesn't stop with Bob. But uh, you want to turn the church over in strength, and and then you want to remain and help to shepherd it and to help to cheer on the next guy. I just think that's a that's a wonderful example. Well, and I publicly said in uh, my last sermon that my my goal now is to help David McNeely be successful in, in what he does. And I and I when you publicly state that, then you're you're on the hook for it, aren't you? And that's exactly the case. I want him to succeed. I want the church to be way better in the future than it is now. I will rejoice in that. My, my big comfort is that I've turned a church over to him that is relatively healthy, imperfect, broken. People are struggling with everything. We all have that in our churches. But a relatively healthy group of people that feel genuinely excited about the next phase of ministry. And to me, that's a big accomplishment. And so uh, that's not my core identity, but it's something that I value. And so whatever happens from here on out, I'm just going to cheerlead that. And, and what, what, are you, what are you looking forward to as you take this next step? And where do you feel like the temptations are going to lie as you take this next step? Well, I'm taking a six-week sabbatical, which a lot of people would love uh, to, to have. Um, the elders, I think, have handled this very well. And they said, when we called David, they said, we'd like you to get out of the way as soon as he's installed, which is this Sunday. We've been transitioning for a month. I preached some, and then he began preaching on August 21st. But they said, we'd like you to go away for a period of time and just get lost. And, um, and as I've talked to David about it, I don't think he needs it. I'm not sure I need it, but I think the congregation may need it. Perhaps the elders need it to recognize there is a change of leadership. Let's kind of get used to this. And then what I'm looking forward to is coming back and sinking my teeth into things I haven't been able to do well as the senior leader, which is actually caring for people better. I love to go to the hospital, for instance, and see people. Um, I love to do premarital counseling. I, I just like—I I think that's where impact is made. Mm -hmm. People remember that. They remember those moments. Um, I love what about just, the temptations? Where, where do yeah, you think you those said, are going to lie? Yeah, you said temp the temptations will be to, yeah, sorry I got off track there. 
uh, the, the, the initial temptation, and this is my temperament, will be to come back after six weeks and feel like I'm not needed anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like the world has passed me by, that the church has gone on ahead of me. And so I have to fight those temptations rather than saying, hey, I'm needed. I'm more likely to feel like I'm not. And the needed. reality is that people do move they, on quickly. Well, you, you, that's the one thing you told me, and I've said to many people uh, since our conversation, Dave, that the thing that stunned you is how quickly people move, move on. Yeah. And so, in a sense, I'm not needed, okay? Let's yeah. just admit this. Nobody is. Uh, that will be a temptation. And then I think it will be... Um, and, and, and one of our members said, this is a very subtle thing and you have to be careful of it. People will come to you and say very subtle things about why it's not as good as it was then. And, and, and I would just sort of embrace that and maybe even secretly like to hear that. Mm-hmm. Okay? And to, uh, and to drive a wedge between uh, uh, David and, and my loyalties to him or some, something like that. And so I think that will be uh, the bigger temptation, yeah. as well as not being in the center of the, of the decision-making. I'm, I'm going to be an assistant pastor, and in that context, in our, our uh, polity, assistant pastors don't even vote in elders' meetings. Might as well be an intern. I might as well. I might as well. I'm, just, I'm going back and starting all over again. The, the elders can fire you with no they, and they can, uh, reference yeah, to the congregation. The, the, well, and one of the reasons we did that is so what you get into is that uh, let's suppose that in a year things weren't working well. And if I was an associate, that has to go before the congregation. Well, the congregation's going to love me a lot longer than the elders will, probably. Uh-huh. And so then you're in this big, uh, this big dust up with the congregation. Uh, and we, don't, we wanted to avoid that. And so we just said, let's go back to an assistant role and um, let, the, let the elders deal with me directly. And we would avoid you know, having to go through the painful process of them dismissing me or something you know, like that as a congregation. So and I don't anticipate that happening, but you, you just never know. So it's the temptations to be disloyal. The temptations to hear words that uh, stroke my ego, or that well, we liked your preaching better, you know. Whatever, yeah. Whatever and the other pe- side of that is going to is that there's going to be people coming in that are just going to love this new guy They're and not are going to come to me. you and tell you all about that. Well, in fact, the first week David preached, we had visitors that showed up, and I had to go up and say, "Hey, I'm Bob Evans. I'm one of the pastors here." Yeah. I don't have a platform anymore. What's that last name again? Yeah, yeah. Evans. Oh, okay. <laughs> that is was strange the very first week, and I just have to get used to those things because they won't know me well, from Adam. Bob, <laughs> I'm I'm just so grateful to God for the vision that He's giving you, and has given you to to see this gospel work transitioned to David, and to see this people you know, safely transferred over into the care of another senior pastor and to remain there and help to shepherd and love and play a role that you think is more suitable to your gifts and to retain the gospel witness that you have built over the last 32 years that you've been in the city of Tallahassee. So thank Thank you you for that. Thanks for caring. You guys have been... uh very encouraging to me, and I, I know we have a real kinship in Christ. And we do as, indeed. Uh, fellow fellow uh, travelers in the gospel, and we share so much in common. And so 
I'll talk to David about merging our churches. We'll, we'll get right on that. Yeah, let's we'll get right on that. I'm so glad you gave things the even more. practice of infant baptism. I, I, I know. Oh, I, don't I, even I go know. there. Yeah, no. I know that. I know well, that. Well, well, let sticks me say, in your craw. It always does. Yeah, so. little, seriously, let me say this. I think as much as you will have uh, a gospel legacy with the people of Wildwood, and this is not a prophetic word, but it would not surprise me that your example in leadership to the Church of Tallahassee will have an exponential impact on past, even when any of us are, are no longer here, mm. and, and what it means to be a servant leader of the local church and to mm. demonstrate that the church, as you as we said before, belongs to Christ and not, and not, not to, us. to us. Well, that's a good word, and I would like to think the Lord will use that. I don't know how that's supposed to look in the years to come, but... If he does it that way, then I'll be thankful because it's all ultimately about whether he gets good glory Amen. from our lives. So thank be, you, guys. Before we sign off from this podcast, uh, Paul, you and I, uh, just to switch gears very quickly, are, are publishing a book that is due to be released next month by Zondervan. And the title of the book is Letting Go, Rugged Love for Wayward Souls. So why don't you just take a, a minute and tell our listeners why we wrote this book? I think when I first got into pastoral ministry, I was stunned, that's not an overstatement, as to how many of those pastoral situations involved people who were straying from the Lord, wayward, prodigal children, wayward spouses, um, struggling church members who were walking away from their roles and responsibilities. And what I came to find, and I think, Dave, you've come to find, and Bob, you would echo this as well, I'm, I'm sure is that this is this is not atypical that, that, that a bulk of the pastoral care situations we find ourselves in involve precisely these kinds of situations right. the second thing that struck me was how how oftentimes people's instincts for how to relate to the prodigals or the wayward folk in their life while while understandable while um you know uh well-intentioned oftentimes were counterproductive to the thing they really desired which was heart change in that person and, and driven by a, an understanding of love that wasn't fully biblical absolutely and, and that's a strong word because our impulse oftentimes in those situations is to grab hold of the thing in a way that that we, we're, that we're fearful of losing whether it's a marriage or relationship or or, or, or child and so as that began to percolate in my own soul, and there were conversations that were happening between Dave and myself about the need we felt like for the for the church to 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 have a resource to go to for for a more biblically orbed perspective of love and what it means to love people who are a part of those wayward situations. Mm-hmm. And so it was really a desire to minister to our own souls. We 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 both have. Um, some of those prodigal situations in our in our lives and ministries, mm-hmm. it was a it was a desire to minister to the body of Christ, but also to help equip pastors, elders, ministry leaders who find themselves a part of these situations. So they can't fix everything. What we're saying? No, not no, no, definitely <laughs> not, not. Yep. So the title is "Letting Go: Rugged Love for Wayward Souls." It's going to be released next month. So this is September. It'll be released in October of two thousand seventeen. 
by Zondervan, Paul Tripp's written 2016, forward. 2016. 2016. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. That's a chronic problem I have. Um, so, uh, so thank you, Paul, for, for that overview. And thank you, Bob, for this interview. And, and uh, that's it for the Am I Called podcast today. And if you're interested, to our listeners, for uh, more podcasts like the ones that we're doing here, uh, we've got some with the BDN Yabwile on race and pastoral ministry with Zach Eswine and suffering with Paul Tripp and same-sex attraction with Sam Alberry and a host of other issues as well. If you're interested in any of that, visit us at amicall.com where there are articles and other audio resources. There's, a, there's an assessment test, all of it free. And, uh, and so go there if that would be of help to you. And, and thanks for joining us today at the Am I Called podcast.